fellow travellers, and welcome to podcast 181 in our series, You Should Have Been There, with me, Simon Calder. And me, Mick Webb. And today we're kicking off the new season of holiday planning and dreaming with a back-to-basics conversation about documentary disasters and how to avoid them. And of course, we're talking here about travel documents rather than documentary programs that send celebs of various kinds around the globe, often with disastrous results. First, though, your very kind comments are coming in about the 12 Days of Christmas travel quiz that we uh, put out over the festive season. And thank you for your thoughts. Of course, anybody who hasn't listened to the whole lot can go back. Just go to anchor.fm forward slash you should have been there. You'll be able to find them and indeed share them with your friends. Mick, I particularly enjoyed uh, your very good clues, including uh, one for Hamburg when we asked, are there any uh, statues to reckon with? And you said there is one, more than one, in fact. Um, they're in the stret square of the same name, um, that, and you can see them standing there. A reference, if I may, to uh, an early Beatles hit. I saw her standing there. Yes, well, I think you uh, you should have sung it, and then people might have got it. Um, you <laughs> will see them or their effigies standing there. No. Anyway, uh, we shall get on with our main theme and the often fraught business of passports. These documents are such an important part of travel that they've become almost too important as we all do our best to ensure that we protect them with our lives, but also have them ready at the drop of a hat to show to um, usually grim-faced officials <laughs> in glass booths when we leave or arrive in foreign lands. And uh, I don't know if you'd agree with me, Simon, but what a horrible stomach-churning mm. feeling it is when your passport is not where you thought you'd put it. Now, my son Silas, who is a doctor, which is relevant to this tale, told me what had happened to him on a recent trip to Dublin. So, Silas, tell me your passport nightmare story. So, I think I've probably had a few, but the most recent of them was when I was going to Dublin in probably a few months ago with 10 friends to go and watch a concert. Um, I'd come off a night shift in A&E that morning, which felt like a good idea at the time because it meant, you know, I could sleep. I'd just sleep for the whole journey and then be a bit more alive when I got off. But it transpired it wasn't a particularly good idea because I didn't really have my faculties when when the plane landed in Dublin it was a Ryanair flight uh, I clearly had my passport to be able to get on the plane and I remember showing it like going through like security but I don't really remember having it on the plane because I just knocked out and fell asleep for the whole you know the, the fairly short journey but kind of woke up as the plane hit the runway um and then everyone got off very quickly in kind of classic Ryanair fashion. I get onto the, like, come off the plane at the back, get onto the runway and suddenly, like, tap my pockets and I can have neither my wallet nor my passport. Oh. Which was, you know, an immediate sort of adrenaline and adrenaline moment where your heart starts racing. You go, well, you know, I'm going to get back on the plane. I'll find it. So I pass my jacket. So I patted down my jacket. I can't find it there. It's kind of a ski jacket. It's freezing cold. It's like now pitch black in, in Dublin in November. And to my friend who was waiting on the runway, I was like, I'm going to run back on the plane, get to my seat. I'm sure it will be there. 
I get onto this empty plane apart from all of the Ryanair staff who are like rapidly turning over um, all of the seats to clean them and checking for lost things. And one of the um, air hostesses goes, is this your wallet? And I was like, yeah, it is amazing. And I was like, was my passport with it? She was like, no passport's been found. Um, and I was like, I, I, it must be where my seat is. So anyway, I went back, I went to where my seat was. Pull, like, there's not really much storage space in a Ryanair flight anyway, but pull up the, like, seat, at the actual seat, which is, like, hold, held on by Velcro, and there's nothing there. She was like, no, it's definitely not there. I was like, it must be. Check, like, the three rows either side, by which point they're, like, shooing me off the plane because they're trying <laughs> to turn it round because they're already running behind schedule. And I was like, you can't move this plane. I don't have my passport. It must be here. And they're like, maybe you dropped it on the way onto the plane. And I was like, shit, I hadn't, oh God, I haven't thought of that. Um, but, and, you, and I was like, maybe they're right. And I was like, well, what's the situation if that happens? They're like, well, you have to go and see if they'll let you into the country, but you might just have to come back. And we'd, you know, spent money, months planning this concert. We'd booked it like six months in advance. Um, so I go back off, get back off the plane. I, my friend Alfie is on the on the runway holding my jacket. I was like, it's definitely not in my jacket, is it? He's like, no, I've checked all the pockets of it. There's like eight different pockets in this ski jacket. <laughs> um, I was like, I'm, I'm like, you know, I, I'm absolutely stumped. I have no idea what to do. And then picked, got the jacket, kind of shook it a bit. And then just felt something fall onto the floor. And basically, it had fall, what had happened is that it had kind of got lodged in one of the vents of this kind of multi-layered jacket. And kind of just like fell onto the runway in the pitch black. We kind of got light on and found it. Um, but I tell you what, it was 20 minutes where I was, I had gone from being the sleepiest to the most kind of high alert human being. Um, and I think as a learning point for me, it probably is not the best idea to go I think you probably do need your wits about you when you travel and uh, and after a night shift we're not the best time for that what about the kind of clothing that you wear on a plane did it make you rethink having something with too many pockets or is that I, I you know I never thought of that being a problem before but um I think that those those ski jackets which are great for keeping you warm do have lots of quite complicated layers of waterproofing and windproofing um that is actually quite easy to lose things in. <laughs> yeah, but uh, yeah, it was a, a scary experience that thankfully all ended up happily. But you know what? We got to Dublin and the, the actual artist cancelled the concert in the end. <laughs> but there was 10 of us there and we had a good weekend. <laughs> Does Silas's experience ring any bells with you, Simon? Well, yes, and I imagine that everyone was listening to Silas and thinking, oh my goodness, how is this all going to end? There he is, poor guy, he's been saving lives all night and now his entire weekend is ruined and he'll get sent back to Stansted and then he'll end up having to go and queue up for a new passport. Um, but I had an, a, a, a kind of mirror experience and this was early 2002, Mick. So it was shortly after 9-11, flying around the US was a terrible, you know, it was, it, it was a really sad and serious business, lots and lots of security. So I managed to get on the American Airlines flight from Dallas-Fort Worth uh, to New York. And what, obviously you had to show your passport multiple times to get onto the aircraft. And I had, and I did, and I sat down, and then suddenly I couldn't find, unlike Silas, I couldn't find my passport immediately. So 
I, I turned everything upside down, disrupted the passengers either side of me, um, thought I must have dropped it along the way. The captain actually left the flight deck and came out to help me look for it. And we couldn't <laughs> find it. And you can imagine, I mean, they let me on the flight on the grounds that, yes, I must have had to prove who I was in order to get on. Um but all the way through, I was just thinking, all right, well, I planned a couple of interesting days in New York and I was going to spend them in the British consulate trying to get a replacement emergency passport. How miserable. And then we landed. I got up and there was the passport. And I, to this day, I have no idea. It was sort of just sitting next to me. How I how I missed it, how I lost it, where it had been or anything like that. So uh, another happy ending, but after a large amount of stress. <laughs> well, I uh, I do remember a, a, a similar happy ending, um, slightly different circumstances when um, Steph, um, my uh, partner and I, uh, in the early days of our um, knowing one another, went on a trip to Valencia Um and um, we went with a, another couple and at one point we stopped to have sardines on the beach somewhere somewhere near Castellón de la Plana, oh, which is, lovely. Yeah. Know, what was it, 30, 40 kilometres, maybe a few less, north of Valencia. Yeah. And it was one of those um, beach uh, uh, chiringuitas, they're called, where you can uh, sit undercover from the uh, delicious but um, rather powerful sun and eat fresh sardines and lovely things like that Um, anyway yeah so we had a very nice time then we drove to our um, not particularly marvelous um, guest house in Valencia at which point it was quite dark by this time Steph said oh no I've lost my passport and my traveler's checks it was in those days the days of traveler's checks and I said what do you mean lost them she said well the bag I had them in um, I haven't got any more and so we had to um, borrow my friend Tony's car yeah um, I will draw a veil over whether or not I was insured to drive it and uh, I had absolutely no idea where precisely uh, along this very, very long stretch of beach our our, uh, our Chiringuita had been. Um, and anyway, while we were walking along um, uh, with a very, very um, dim and failing oh. torch and looking pathetically around us, um, I saw hanging from a beach hut from a sort of rafter sticking out from the roof of a beach hut or a changing hut or something um the bag <laughs> somebody had left it there <laughs> in it, I mean, it someone had so hung it up it. there and, oh, and there it wonderful. was the miracle yeah. of their cheering with, with and yeah yeah we didn't even get that far i mean anyway it was complete with the with passport and traveler's checks how marvellous. <laughs> yes. Being separated from your passport, I find, does cause palpitations. And that includes if you are at an actual border and somebody who is probably an official takes your passport away. And I'm thinking here particularly of Latin American frontiers. Obviously, if you were going from the Mexico to the Darien Gap of Panama, you have to go across multiple frontiers, none of which are particularly well demarked and and neither are the jobs of the people who might well take your apprise your your passport and take it away and um uh, and who knows what what happens to it and uh yeah all all very very dodgy and 
you and I have uh, spent a long time in various offices in in various parts of Latin America, having our credentials painstakingly examined and uh, very often with the details typed onto an official form, uh, which which is a great uh, uh, a very exciting event if if um, a little edgy because you don't quite know how they are going to respond. Yeah, that, that, that is true. Shall we get on to the history of the passport? Because Dervler has been waiting very patiently to tell us <laughs> about how these documents came about. The earliest forms of travel documentation can be found in ancient civilizations. For example, in the Roman Empire... Citizens were often issued a document called a tessera, which granted them safe passage within the empire. The term passport originated in the 17th century and referred to a document that granted safe passage through a particular territory. These early passports were often handwritten and included a description of the bearer. The use of passports became more widespread in the 19th century as international travel increased. Today, Passports are essential for international travel, serving as a key identification and verification document. They have come a long way from their humble beginnings as letters of safe conduct in ancient times. Well, thank you, Dervler. She did actually have quite a lot more to say um, about biometric passports, post-World War II passports, medieval um, era passports. But let's face it, Dervla is a bit boring. So um, uh, we have edited her. <laughs> but, you know, back in the dark ages, well, that's the age before the electronic digital revolution, when passports were quite simple affairs without uh, chips and biometric details, the only thing you needed to keep on top of was where you'd put the thing and whether it was still valid. But nowadays, the question of the expiry date is not the whole business, as you have often reminded us um, in uh, your various uh, um, media outlets. And only last weekend, I was watching a series, a box set on Channel 4, where a crucial part of the plot was one of the characters reaching the departure desk at Bristol Airport on his way to Spain um, and finding that his passport only had two months and 26 days left in it, uh, and he was not allowed to get on the flight. Is, is, is this correct? Is it an EU Brexit problem, Simon? Well, it's a problem caused by our decision to leave the European Union and then the government to decide that we wanted to be treated as third country nationals. But after you alerted me to this, Mick, I watched the offending, as I shall call it, uh, incident and immediately contacted uh, Channel 4 because it was wrong. Okay. They made up a rule which doesn't exist. Okay. There are two rules for going to the EU, which we knew about when we uh, left the EU. And that is that if you're a third country national, as we are, then your, your passport must not be more than 10 years old on the day you wish to go to the EU. And it must have at least three months valid when you're coming back. Uh, this this character, who was David, played by Peter Egan, incidentally, um, was, uh, uh, first of all, he handed them a blue passport, which has only been issued since 2020 and therefore, by definition, would be valid till 2030 at least. Um, and then the... Uh, the, the lady behind the desk made up a completely non-existent rule uh, for leaving the EU. Anyway, um, 
I contacted them. Uh, Channel Four were very nice, and they they uh, asked the production uh, company what they thought, and the production company declined to comment. So let me just restate: if you're going to the EU, your passport must not have had its tenth birthday. And on the day you plan to come back, it must have three months at least remaining. And those two que- those two things are independent. So it's been a whole load of tosh. Oh, passports expire after nine years, nine months. No, they do not. Ah, well, uh, I might as well um, divulge the title of the series, which is True Love. Um, and I hope we haven't uh, spoiled any of it by uh, <laughs> setting the record straight there. Well, we actually did some good for uh, one of our uh, lovely listeners. This is Deborah um, from Podcast 147, because we covered this in 10 Things You Need to Know About Going Away. And uh, she was listening and immediately thought, "Uh oh, and says that we well, very kindly sort of saved the day. I just wanted to tell you how you should have been there, saved our recent holiday to the Canaries from complete doom. Um, I was happily listening to episode 144, 10 top tips for a cheaper holiday um, in bed late on the night of Monday the 20th of February. We were due to fly out to Tenerife on the Wednesday morning, so two days later, and then get the ferry to La Gomera. I was suddenly hit by the bombshell of tip number 10, needing three months still to run in your passport for the date of return from an EU country. Hadn't the faintest idea about this rule and my passport was due to expire on the 21st of May. Annoyingly, there's a minimum 48-hour wait for an appointment at the passport office um, and I had to go to Peterborough, even though I live in London, as there were no available appointments in London. But... Going to Peterborough, there was the plus of seeing Peterborough Cathedral, which was very nice. Anyway, had to pay a shed load more than I would have done to renew my passport ultra quickly. Um, Had to also pay £190 to change the outgoing flights to two days later. But the brilliant thing was we did make it to the Canaries, had an absolutely amazing holiday. And if it wasn't for the podcast... That would never have happened. I also met some charming people at the passport office, some of whom had some very interesting tales to tell about why they needed a new passport, including one guy who had had his passport in his outer pocket and a bird had pooed on it. Anyway, thank you again for saving our holiday. Well, what can we learn from Deborah's tale? Apart from the fact that you should have been there is essential listening and essential bedtime listening. <laughs> yes, uh, it might might have been um, that Deborah, has she been allowed on the plane to get to Tenerife? I've, I've got some evidence that um, Frontier staff have been kind of slightly turning a blind eye to the uh, the issue. But the thing is, she would probably not have got anywhere near the plane because of of um, uh, officials at her departure airport saying, well, you're not hoping to go there on this, are you? It's ridiculous. So, um, yeah, it, it's regrettable. But bear in mind, lots of countries, Australia, America, many others, don't require any excess time at all on your passport. And furthermore, the European Union is the only a group of countries which has any interest in the issue date of your passport. All the rest, it's just all about expiry. 
Would it be fair to say that the passport is the only document you really need as a document? Because pretty well everything else can go on a phone. Well, yeah. And, and look, while you can just say, oh, I've got a smartphone and a passport, that's all I need. Of course, remember the dark days of COVID when I was having to get an entire sheaf of documents, um, mostly to do with various tests that you've had here, there and flipping everywhere. Anyway, let's get on to another important document for a, a number of countries. And that is the visa. Now, can you yes. put can you put that on a phone or not? Just out uh, of well, look, good, good point. Actually, for a lot of sort of sort of visas, um, and I'm talking here about the electronic uh, permission you need to get into places like the US and um, into uh, Australia, your passport is tied to uh, the visa. And so therefore, you just check in at the airport, you, you they'll scan your passport, um, that they will then it will then come up with oh yes Mick Webb has uh, this Esther permission to get into the US um, and some ludicrously long code and and that, that that they'll just say that's absolutely fine well unless you are as I found in the uh, uh, in, when I was in Calgary actually immediately before the miracle of the found passport. I was trying to fly to Dallas. Now, that's in Calgary Canada, in Canada, isn't it? Calgary in Canada. And in Canada, uh, many of the airports, you go through US immigration while you're still in Canada, just like you do in Dover when you're going oh, to yes. France. Anyway, this official said, uh, what are you doing in um, Dallas? And I, rather than saying I'm going on holiday, and it was the middle of December, I think. So I wasn't going on holiday, um, and it was fairly obvious. I said, "Oh, I'm, um, you know, I'm actually working on a book, and I'm meeting a few people." <laughs> he said, "Okay, um, well, you can't come in on this. Your your um uh, your, your your tourist uh, permit. Yeah, absolutely no way can you come in." And um, I thought, "Oh," and then clutching at straws, I said, uh, "I've got an I visa." And this is the special five-year visa that you have if you're a journalist and um, you are going to report. Um, and I hadn't mentioned it in the first place because it had expired. Anyway, he looked at it and he said, oh, that's all right then, and stamped it. And off I went without spotting the, the, the flipping thing had expired. So that was the miracle of Calgary. Um, and and uh, I just need to mention that in uh, probably a year from now, we will be hearing a lot more about the ETIAS, which is the Euro visa we will need. Again, a consequence of us leaving the European Union. You don't need to do anything yet. And we will give you plenty of warning when you do. Surely it is time to um, listen to uh, what some of our listeners have uh, had to say following a, a tweet that you um uh, X or an X that you tweeted last week. <laughs> yes, yeah, so we were after all kinds of um, passport problems and other travel document disasters, and we didn't have to wait very long. Here's Claire Louise. My son left our passports in an upper cupboard in a mobile home in Lavande on a Eurocap holiday. <laughs> no. Now, I don't think in this case, Claire Louise's son is a kind of seven year old. No. I think I think he's an adult son. So they then drove four and a half hours to an overnight hotel in Rouen. Good choice, if you don't mind me saying so. Very handy um, on the way back and a lovely city to be in. We realised they were missing at 10.30. They, I'm assuming 
Sun Plus partner, drove back to the campsite, collected the passport from the mobile home. The reps had left it open, obviously useful uh, to have mobile phones, and then back to the hotel, arrived back around 10.30 a.m. Then we had to drive on to Calais, just making it time for our train. I obviously drew drove that leg. Yes, whenever, whenever you are um, leaving your passports with, well, tucking them into an interesting corner of a, a mobile home is is different. But even uh, it's quite possible to leave them at a hotel where they insist on collecting your passport. So just just set yourself a little alarm. Have I got my passport? Yeah. Well, we've also heard from Susie Wu who um, tells us that she visited Patong in Thailand, planned to change traveller's checks, but changed mind instead as it did not feel safe to have money on us. My partner had my passport and it was pickpocketed while he was watching magic shows. (laughs) When we noticed, we had to fly to Bangkok to get a visa to travel home. Well, that's a brilliantly surreal tale actually Susie Wu I like the idea of the magic shows but uh, clearly you managed to do it well yeah and actually um uh, Simba Countess has been in touch uh, with a with a literally pressing problem right now my daughter is in Thailand and has water damage to her passport the pages have marks from the water and are creased but the electronic chip is working and the laminated photo page is fine she's traveling to Cambodia and Vietnam soon should she get a new passport well, I, I, all I can say is, Simba Countess, in principle, yes, because I've crossed a few land frontiers in uh, Indochina and border officials very interested in every detail of your passport. But I'm afraid, ah. um, as we've just heard, getting a new passport while you're on the road is trickier than it was. Do you remember in the olden days, early days of backpacking, uh, British consulates had fresh passports. And if you just turned up and said, oh, I had my passport stolen, I was watching a magic show, they just write you out a new one, literally. Of course, things are much more security-minded. All you can get these days is a white emergency passport that gives you one single journey back to the UK. So you can't say, oh, I'll do another few months of wandering around Asia. So I suggest that she continues with the do- document that she has. Um, she enlists a fixer. Um, you can find them at um, hostels on in border towns who can assist travellers across borders. They will, if you've got a dare I say borderline passport, um, they will they will help you across and they'll they'll uh, get you there or indeed join an overland trip because then you've got a leader whose job it is to get everyone across the uh, the, the frontier. But um, really important wherever you're away to keep your passport as safe as can be. It could bring your travels to a very uh, swift halt. We did actually have a few um, plaudits uh, for the uh, passport uh, office's efforts. Um, and uh, one of them was from David, who said... Uh, Not a problem, but just got a new passport in eight days from application. Five from them receiving my old passport. Not travelling for five weeks, so could have waited. (laughs) And um, Kevin Young, on your advice, that's your advice, Simon, I've just renewed online. Six days is all it took and the passport is in my hand. Um, And uh, Kay and Steve, Bex Hill, say, on a positive note... 
applied 30th of December, received new passport on 6th of January. Excellent service given the public holiday. Well, that's quite good, isn't it? I, I think that's great. And probably um, we should end with this one from Joe Della Hunt. He's addressing me. Simon, I travel frequently and have never encountered the stuff you talk of. Perhaps worst case, Simon, should be your title. What do you think, Mick? <laughs> well, I think this is quite interesting because when we were actually travelling together, I would say it was worst case Mick <laughs> uh, rather than worst case Simon. Um, but obviously your um, uh, journalistic persona is rather different from your <laughs> travelling persona, if you see what I mean. Oh, dear. Anyway, we would love to hear more of your stories of documentary disasters, or indeed, we much prefer miracles because we're <laughs> best case. Well, yeah, send your, your your miracles to best case Mick. You can uh, X us, post us uh, a message at on Twitter, as it used to be known, to at you should have BT, or you can go to anchor.fm and leave us a message, an audio message, uh, just anchor.fm forward slash you should have been there and follow the instructions. For now, though, from me, worst case Simon Calder, and me, backup documents Mick Webb, goodbye. Goodbye. Mm-hmm.